You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Tim Rice. Welcome to my podcast, the fourth episode of Get Onto My Cloud. If you listen to podcast two of Get Onto My Cloud, then you will have heard the story of The Likes of Us, the musical about Dr. Bernardo that Andrew Lloyd Webber and I began writing within minutes of meeting in 1965. For two years, while doing other things, I was a law student and Andrew went up to Oxford briefly, we worked on the likes of us, convinced it was going to break us speedily into the West End Theatre. But, for various reasons, speedily became eventually, eventually became possibly, and after two years of zilch, it began to dawn on us that the West End was going to have to wait a little longer for us and the reverse was equally true. But one or two friends had heard our songs from the likes of us and spotted a little bit of merit and a lot of promise. In late 1967, music teacher at Collick Court School in West London, Alan Doggett, wondered if we'd like to write something for his pupils while we were waiting for our inevitable fame and fortune. This was to be for an end-of-term afternoon school concert in the following spring which would be attended by a few probably reluctant mothers, because in those days most fathers were the family breadwinners and their jobs were a good excuse not to turn up to school shows. Not quite the glamour and recognition we'd anticipated for our first publicly performed piece, but on balance we felt it was something we could throw together pretty quickly, and as Alan assured us, there was always a chance that educational music publishers might be interested a bit like the possibility of writing a hit Latin textbook. Maybe whatever we wrote could eventually be performed by schools all over the country. This seemed a pretty remote possibility to me, but on the other hand, to hear our work performed live in any circumstances was a step forward. Alan gave us carte blanche over subject matter, beyond pointing out the obvious. It had to appeal both to the juveniles who were to perform it and in Alan's case, his choir were kids aged 8 to 11, all boys, and it had to appeal to the teachers who would have to teach it. Our first thoughts were to write a mini-musical about a James Bond character, but we realised that this might become dated rather quickly. After all, 50 years' time from 1968, James Bond would surely be long forgotten. We needed to be more traditional and choose a timeless topic, which in practice came down to English history or the Bible. My favourite Bible story had always been Joseph and his coat of many colours. Alan and Andrew both thought this was an excellent subject, and we set to work with an alacrity that I would be in raptures to achieve now. The first two tunes Andrew produced were the opening numbers that eventually became Jacob and Sons and the Coat of Many Colours. Both were bouncy melodies, devoid of any classical influence, ideally suited to narrative and to humour. I reckon that the best way to a child's heart was through laughter and set out from the word go to make the songs funny. My principal source text was the Wonder Book of Bible Stories, 
which contained the line about the first recorded rationing in history, rather than the Bible itself, and my inspirations, whether wittingly or not, were Michael Flanders and Paddy Roberts. Funnily enough, I had a little trouble convincing Andrew that my style of language was right for the project. I remember a long discussion about the phrase multicolored coat. Andrew felt many-colored more appropriate, and he also felt uneasy about took the biscuit and one or two other anachronisms. But the first time we played the opening five minutes to Alan, he was enchanted, and we both realized we'd hit upon a form both musically and lyrically that would be perfect for the Colic Court Choir. Alan couldn't wait to play the first two songs to his boys, and when their reaction was just as glowing, we positively raced ahead with the rest of the 20-minute work. I guess you may know Joseph's Coat song pretty well, and it's always been one of the most popular numbers in the score. I also think it's one of the best, as Andrew's superb, instantly catchy and memorable tune made it very easy for me to write the words. And because I was attempting to be funny as well as tell the story, the words came quite quickly to me. When you're attempting to write what's meant to be an amusing lyric, rather than a serious or romantic one, the available vocabulary and rhyming possibilities are vastly extended. Pajamas and Farmers, for example, would be difficult to slot into a big ballad love song, although I suppose a torrid nighttime romance featuring agricultural workers could have used that couplet. Anyway, Pajamas on Farmers doesn't come into the song about Joseph's coat. It appears later in the show when that wonderful tune of Andrew's is reprised. Here now is the coat of many colours from the very first recording of Joseph, which we made some six months after the success of the school concert in summer 1968. The lead singer is David Daltrey, backed by an excellent pop group of the day, The Mixed Bag, and with the Colic Court Choir Boys adding vocal support. Joseph, he was Jacob's favourite son of all the family. Joseph was the special one, so Jacob bought his son a coat, a multicoloured coat to wear. Joseph's coat was elegant, the cut was fine, the tasteful style was the ultimate in good design. This is why it caught the eye, a king would stop and stare, and when Joseph tried it on, he knew his sheepskin days were gone. Such a dazzling coat of many colours, how he loved his coat of many colours. much before. Now this coat has got their goat. They felt life was unfair. And when Joseph raised the sea, his brothers turned a shade of green. His astounding clothing took the biscuit, quite the smoothest person in the district. He looked handsome, he looked smart. He was a walking world. And peach and ruby and olive and violet and fall. 
David Daltrey in the mixed bag and the Colic Court Choir with the coat of many colours from Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. The long list of colours at the end of the song about Joseph's coat was actually put together by Alan's class. Our song originally ended simply red and yellow and green and brown and blue. But Alan and the boys added a further 24. And a few years later, this joyful string of hues won me great praise from none other than B.A. Young, the famous theatre critic in the Financial Times. Quote, this to my mind is pure poetry, he waxed specifically about the 29 colours, the only problem being that I only came up with five of them. To this day, I find it extremely difficult to remember all 29 colours. I can usually remember the four or five I wrote, but the others, and they are magnificent. The kids chose some great colours, scarlet, ochre, peach, violet, fawn, chocolate, mauve, russet, grey, azure. I would never have come up with half these colours, but it's very difficult for me to recall them. Perhaps the greatest honour the list of colours ever received, apart from B.A. Young's ecstatic review, was when it was featured in The Simpsons, and I think it was the character who lived next door to Homer, Ned Flanders, who managed to remember all 29 colours. I was absolutely thrilled, even though, of course, as I said before, I'd only written five of them. The world premiere of Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which was a title Andrew came up with, was on Friday the 1st of March 1968, at 2.30pm in the Assembly Hall of Colic Court School. I have no great recollection of pressure caused by the deadline, which seems almost inconceivable to me whenever I write now. We had no initial intention of making the work a retirement home for various styles of pop. The only pastiche in the original 20-minute version of Joseph was the Elvis Presley parody for Pharaoh. And I really can't remember how we came up with that particular idea, but once we decided to include a tribute to the King of Rock and Roll, the song almost wrote itself. There were connections between Elvis and Pharaoh, which we did not even notice. Well, I didn't. During the recording of the Broadway cast album of Joseph in 1982, I suggested to the actor playing Pharaoh, Tom Carter, that perhaps he should not include an ad lib about Memphis in Pharaoh's number, an anachronism too far. Tom quite rightly pointed out to the dim lyric writer, me, that his ad lib referred to Memphis, Egypt, not Memphis, Tennessee. The coincidence that Elvis and Pharaoh had operated in cities with the same name had never dawned on me. From the first rehearsal, it was clear that Song of the King would be a showstopper, the only problem being that none of the singers in the choir of unbroken voices were ideal Presley impersonators. Auditions for the role of Elvis, Pharaoh, were held, and after three or four minutes, my vocal demonstration of the song to the boys won me the part. I must admit, there was not a lot of competition for the role. The choir were given an equally crucial part during the number, the Bup-Bup Shuwariwas. The reluctant mums who'd come to the afternoon's concert were thus not simply to be entertained by their precious offspring. In addition to the Colic Court School Choir, the world premiere of Joseph featured David Daltrey, The Mixed Bag, me doing my Elvis, and Andrew Lloyd Webber on piano. However devoted parents are, however tuneful the young voices, and the choir were very good, 20 consecutive minutes of treble warbling is a lot to take. Besides, the kids are always required to ooh and ah behind the broken voices. Our introduction of unknown but excellent contemporary pop musicians made all the difference. 
David Daltrey was a talented songwriter and guitarist whose youthful vocals fitted the two big Joseph solos, Close Every Door and Any Dream Will Do, perfectly. Again, the choir participated fully in those two numbers. Its strength was in ensemble singing, and we knew that the whole show would be better served if these two major songs were in the hands, or rather the larynx, of a confident and mature, albeit only 16, vocalist. The Mixed Bag were a four-piece rock band whose forte was the note-perfect rendition of others' material, although they also wrote songs themselves. They added a great deal to the piece with their reliable beat and instrumental flourishes. As the structure of the oratorio took shape, certain lead vocal lines were given to Malcolm and Terry of the group to lend further variety to the non-stop narrative flow. I'm sure that neither David nor the mixed bag had expected a prep school concert to be anything other than an unpaid favour to me and Andrew, but they bit the bullet bravely. And it did lead to recording contracts for them. Plus, they've always been able to claim that they were in at the start of a little bit of theatre history. Sad to say, David died in early 2019, never quite fulfilling his enormous potential. But the four mixed baggers are still going strong, and I'm glad to say I'm still in touch with them, albeit they have moved on to other careers and or retirement half a century later. The success of the school concert eventually led to the Joseph album, which I'm featuring in this chat. Here are the mixed bag with the Colic Court Choir and... Potiphar. Potiphar had very few cares. He was one of Egypt's millionaires, having made a fortune buying shares in pyramids. Potiphar had made a huge pile, earned a large percentage of the Nile. Meant that he could really live in style And he did Joseph was an unimportant slave Who found he liked his master Consequently worked much harder Even with devotion Potiphar could see that Joseph was a cut above the average Made him leader of the household Maximum promotion Potiphar was cool and so fine But his wife would never toe the line It's all there in chapter 39 of Genesis She was beautiful but evil Saw a lot of men against his will He would have to tell her that she still was here Joseph's looks and handsome figure had attracted her attention Every morning she would beckon, come and lie with me, love Joseph wanted to resist her, till one day she proved too eager Joseph cried in vain, please stop, I don't believe in free love Suddenly they heard a Joseph, I'll see you rot in jail The things you have done are beyond the pale 
Potiphar, sung by the Mixed Bag with the Colic Court School Choir, late 1968, a song which was not actually in the very first performance of Joseph at the school, but added for the album, along with one or two other extra songs. There were still more new Joseph songs to come as the work increased in popularity and became a show for commercial theatre as well as for schools. But on that very first LP recording, the entire production was only 30 minutes long. As I think I've already made clear, writing the words was great fun, all the more so because every tune that came off the ALW conveyor belt sounded like a winner. There are several examples of bad rhyming throughout Joseph, I'm afraid, but while purists, and I now count myself as one, would shudder, no one was anything but delighted with the couplets as they flowed from my portable typewriter. Biscuit and district always hit the button laugh-wise, but is, of course, an inaccurate rhyme. Elsewhere, we find mean and dream, fine and time, and plenty of other solecisms that would have me railing against a lyricist who tried them in theatre today. Pure rhymes and rock are almost mutually exclusive. In my defence, I point out that we had no inkling that the work would even survive for a second performance, and that telling the tale entertainingly for those particular children was almost all that mattered. Furthermore, when I've tried to correct rhymes for subsequent professional productions, the directors and singers involved always refused to accept the changes, saying they'd always loved the original. I'm stuck with Biscuit and District. The question I've been asked most since around 1970 is, which is written first, the words or the music? With Andrew, and I primarily work this way with nearly all of my collaborators, with the notable exception of Elton John, with Andrew it was always the music, but before the tune comes the plot. Both partners should be fully aware of and completely happy with the structure and storyline, the book of the entire show, ideally before a single song is contemplated. Writing the book of a musical is generally a job in its own right, and usually involves a good deal of spoken dialogue. However, Joseph had a story already written by some Old Testament sage, and was an oratorio, the tale told entirely through song. My initial task was simply to suggest to Andrew what aspect of the story each musical scene should convey. He then produced a tune to fit the mood and the plot of each scene, and I added the words. Joseph ends with a lyrical moment of doubt in Any Dream Will Do, but any doubts or unhappiness in that thought have always been swept away by the triumphant music. Joseph is, after all, an optimistic piece. It still works best when performed by the kind of people for whom it was first written, not the actual people who are nearly all now balding and or bearded family men and grandfathers themselves. It was written for children learning about music and language and maybe about the Bible too. However polished some of the gigantic commercial productions have been, its versions similar to the spirit and size of the world premiere at Colic Court School on the 1st of March 1968 that I enjoy most. And it's those performances that make Joseph the work of mine, and maybe of Andrew's too, most likely to survive into the 22nd century. Thank you for listening to one or two of my earliest Joseph memories. I'm afraid I'm ending this podcast with my treatment of the Song of the King. Mercifully short, as in the original show, Elvis Stroke Pharaoh only had one verse in which to explain his torment.
Get Onto My Cloud is written and narrated by Tim Rice and produced by Peter Holtz. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.